0: Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Guy from Guy's Woodshop. And as always, I'm joined by my friends, Hui Huyn, also known as the Alabama Woodworker.
1: Good evening, Guy.
0: Good evening, Hui. <laughs> and Sean Walker, creator of Simple Cove.
2: Good evening, Guy and Hui. Good evening, Sean.
0: Good evening, Sean. <laughs> Sounds like Public Broadcasting. No. Anyways, <laughs> this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon account right now. We're at one level, and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to Patreon.com/slash WoodshopLife and stay tuned again to the end of the show to hear what we've got going on in our own shops. So we're going to start, and get right into it. We, you've got the first question.
1: Okay. So this is from Jonathan and and this question uh, I think reminds me of a lot of the types of stuff that I used to do when I was just starting out woodworking. So it's a, so it's a good one. Got another one for you. So it sounds like he's, sent a question in before. I know you all have talked extensively about finishing on multiple different occasions, but I have a question regarding top coats after painting, and I don't recall that officially being discussed. I made my son a lofted bed during the pandemic, really basic construction grade lumber piece. Guy, go easy on me. (laughs) <laughs> That's what he's saying, Jonathan. You don't need to go easy on me, guy. You beat me up every show, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> at the time, I stained it with a dark oil-based gel stain and followed up with an oil-based poly top coat. I'm now repurposing the bed for his younger sister. I disassembled it and planned to give everything a good sand because, frankly, at the time, I didn't do the greatest job. I'm planning on painting the bed white, so right now I'm thinking... I'll need to prime it and seal it before using a basic latex paint and then finish it off with a water-based poly. What are your thoughts? My guess is y'all you know, aren't painting very many pieces, but when you do, what kind of top coat do you use if any? So this is a great question stuff. I used to do stuff like this all the time when I was first starting the woodwork, you know, sand something down that you already had and repurposing it, basic stuff. And uh, I've, I've learned a couple things. Um, first off, I will say the primer that you use, I would use a stain blocking primer, uh, because you have you applied a, an oil-based stain already, gel stain. And so using a a stain blocking primer will prevent tannin bleed, especially if it's some construction grade lumber. Uh, Can you,
0: can you give us an example of a, of a product you might try?
1: Um, I think Valspar has one. Oh gosh. It's just, it's just called a stain blocking primer, um, uh, I think you could use a kills uh, or yeah. I'm trying to think. What is the other very prominent brand? There are two kills and another one. Oh, what, what is the name of it? Does Zinser have one or is Zinser? Yeah. Kills?
2: I, they, maybe that's why I'm getting confused, but I know I've used kills and that's, I, that's what I was thinking too. Do the other company have one? Maybe they're the same.
1: Yeah. There's like two or three main ones that you can buy at the big box store. Uh, any one of those is going to be fine. Uh, but rather than using latex paint and a water-based poly on top, I would just use, if you're not if you're not spraying, some type of brushable water-based white enamel. Uh, it, I think it's harder than latex. It's going to give you a little bit more resistance. And then you don't have to apply a water-based poly on top of it. Uh, you can do that for added protection if you want. But I really do think uh, some type of water-based um, brushable enamel is going to be your best bet. And it'll just save you a step of having to, you know, scuff sand in between, and then, you know, applying a water-based poly on top. Um, I, I don't, I don't think you need to do that if you used, if you use a strong enough or hard enough uh, material. What do you, what do you think, Guy?
0: Uh, I want to hear what Sean has to say because if I say something, <laughs> there <laughs> won't like, be, a, oh. there won't be any meat on the bone left for Sean. I think he always get short change. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry. No, my, um, oh man, now you just put me on the spot. If I don't say exactly what Guy was gonna say, I'm gonna get blasted. No, <laughs> um, I'm gonna uh, let's see. I agree with we. Uh, Zenser does have a a stain blocker, so I think it may be different. Okay, so yeah, I agree with everything you said, and I would use a water based water based top coat like a poly, just because. Did he? He said that uh, Jonathan said, "What color was he going with? White." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just so he doesn't amber the 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 tone of about going with some oil based top coat, man. Guy, <laughs> what do you got to say about it?
0: <laughs> I would not use a clear top coat on it. It's going to yellow. Doesn't yeah. matter what it is, water, oil, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You put a, a a coat over that, and eventually it's going to yellow over yeah. white. Yep. Especially okay. uh, just because it's white. Any other color, it's not going to be as prominent. But
2: mm-hmm. Dang, white, that was close.
0: It's mm-hmm. going to. My experience, anyways, mm-hmm. has been that it yellows doesn't matter what you do. I've I've, I've had that happen to me a couple times, and I mm-hmm. won't make that mistake again. Yeah. Um. Fifty-fifty on that, but yeah, you can use a a, a pigmented conversion, water-based conversion varnish, or. Uh, water-based lacquer. So that, some of that stuff you can—you don't have to necessarily spray that either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can use like a foam brush, and it goes on pretty easy. We—I've done a few things like that here. I just didn't feel like breaking out my gun and going through all that rigmarole. Yeah, and I've just pulled it right out of the can with the foam brush and put it on, and it was fine.
1: It's great uh, for touch-ups.
0: Yeah. So you might want to try that. Um, but like I said, I. Don't think I'd recommend putting clear top coat over the. Yeah. But I agree with uh, Hui on the the enamel paint.
2: Yeah. Or, or a derivative of that, something yeah. something similar. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think Sean's got the next question.
2: This is from Firelight Woodworkers or w- Firelight Woodworks rather. Hi, fellas. I found your podcast a few months ago, and I'm working my way from the start to get all caught up. So please forgive me if you've addressed this question before. For the last few years, I've mostly focused on turning, but my wife would really like a new bed frame and has asked me to design and build one similar to the one from a local wood furniture shop. I'm planning to make it out of solid cherry. I hear a lot of talk about wood movement and particularly how it is problematic in cross grain situations. I was planning on using a domino to attach the horizontal pieces of the headboard and footboard to the posts, but that creates a cross grain situation. Is that a mistake? Any tips for making that joint and accounting for movement? Thanks for the great content. For someone who hasn't made furniture in quite some time, it helps give me reminders of all the things I've forgotten. Hmm. Uh, Firelight Woodworks sent us the, a photo of the bed, and I believe on Instagram called it a like a sleigh bed type yeah. style mm-hmm. that has the wide footboard and or the wide panels on the footboard and the headboard. Mm-hmm. And I took this question because. You know, I I would like to make a bed eventually, and I I really love the design that that they sent. But and back to the um back to the question, I believe that using the domino, there's there's a couple of different ways to handle this. With, if you're using the domino, or if you're wanting to tackle it, some other method. I'll let Guy and Hui answer those. So I win, I don't take like Guy says, take all the meat off the, the bone here. Um, but tackling with the domino, you, you have a couple of options, obviously with that. You can, you know, well, you can route the, route the grooves and then put them in there exactly, you know, as a snug fit, or you can oversize the, the mortises on the, on the legs and leave the tenons, the mortises for the tenons in the headboard or vice versa, you know, the exact fit of the, of the, of the, the loose tenon. And by doing that, uh, and if gluing the upper portions of the dominoes, meaning that the top, the top dominoes in the panel and leaving the bottom one, uh, leaving the glue out of that, um, you can allow the panel to expand down instead of up, or uh, you can lock it in and, and control where the movement is. And this is a tough question because I thought initially, you know, you read a lot of different opinions on on this. I've seen and I've seen quite a few examples of some folks not paying attention to it and just gluing it up. Some folks taking the precaution of of changing and putting it just a big tenon in the center of the panel, uh, and not putting a, anything on the top of the bottom. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm a fan of that or not, but, um, th- there's several different opinions on the matter. That's just one method in which you could do that is, you know, go for the loose tenon mode on the legs for the, the bottom portion of the panel on a, on, you know, say one or two of the uh, dominoes on the bottom and to control that movement and allow it to move down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I think Mr. Dunlap over there is going to gonna gonna give us some more information on another method for this.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can do it. I don't see a problem with using dominoes, to be honest with you.
1: And, um, and not allowing for wood movement at all?
0: Not really. I don't think it's an issue. If, if, mm-hmm. if our listeners could, which they can't see the picture of the bed, it's not like this is a, a field that's – you know, five feet or anything like that. It's inches, you know, like maybe twenty-four and Mm thirty-six on the headboard, twenty-four on the footboard. Not there's not much there. Yeah. And there are depending on where you live and the type of wood you use, you really have to look at the expansion of that. So there are some calculators out there on the internet. Just do a web search for uh, wood expansion calculator. I did it just a few seconds ago here when this question came up, and about a half a dozen things came up to to help with that. And you can just punch in the species, you know, the, the the moisture content, which is relevant, and where you live, and things like that, and it'll it'll tell you how how much it should move. So the the traditional way of doing that is like what Sean was alluding to before, which is you know, you make an oversized uh, mortise in the leg
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you have the, the the footboard, let's say, and then you make a tenon to fit in that and then cut an inch off the bottom of the, not of the, the footboard, but of the tenon. Mm-hmm. So there's slop between the bottom of the mortise and the, the bottom of the tenon. There's a gap in there. Right. And then just glue the top half of it. Mm-hmm. So if it does expand or the top quarter of it, if it does expand, it'll expand towards the bottom. Right. That's the traditional way of doing something like that, if mm-hmm. you're really worried about wood movement. And, you know, I, I think it depends on, you know, where you live and it also depends on the home. Yeah. I, I know people really get very involved with the wrapped around the the, the, the axle about Wood movement. Mm -hmm. It is a thing. However, in my house, I have a a humidity-controlled, temperature-controlled house. It's Mm -hmm. 70 degrees in here. Year-round, humidity is always the same. Mm -hmm. Nothing in my house moves.
2: (laughs) And one of the weird things about, like, I have... I, I pulled out some books and preparing for this question because I'm genuinely curious. It didn't, you know, none of the books that I have mentioned anything about, and I don't have a lot of books about leaving room for a, a sleigh bed panel like that to expand and contract. So it, it's just weird. Um, some people are just overly cautious. Some people are, you know, and I understand some of the places you read this, like perhaps maybe some of these other websites like Fine Woodworking Magazine, they want to make sure that they're following the best proper, uh, the, the best what are, what are potential are the books guidelines
0: say to do. Huh? What are the books I did?
2: The book didn't mention anything about it in this illustrated cabinet making book um, about, you know, doing anything like that or about making, making stuff smaller, the tenants smaller, anything like that. But there's so many drawings in here. Maybe perhaps I'm, I missed it, but I didn't see much on it. Um, hmm. But it is, a some people are concerned by it and talk about ways that we discussed. Then again, I've, I looked at numerous examples of people not even, you know, paying attention to it and doing a mortise and tenon and, and then, you know, gluing it in like an apron style.
0: I mean, you got to think of it like, almost like a, I think you said it before, Sean, a, a breadboard. It's a, yeah. it's the same thing. It's cross grain. So you you pin it and you let it, let it move.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, I'm right there. I'm I'm right there with all both of you guys. I'm I'm looking through my books now too, and fine woodworking chests and drawer. What is it? Chests and cabinets book that I've got. You know, it's sliding dovetails, and so they're pinning it in the front and allowing it to move towards the back. So conventional wisdom would say that this would be the case, but as well, but if you look at it, it, is a these are pretty. It's not so. It's, the, a cross the head, grain, it's a cross grain situation. Yeah, it is. It, it is. is a
2: cross grain situation. And the headboard so, in this thing is pretty rather large panel, but yeah. again, you got two options: you do it or you don't. And if you do it, you just make the mortise longer than the tenon and let it expand down or up. I mean, yes, yeah. or you mm-hmm. pin it. And you don't do anything except pinning it, and then certain. I mean, you got you've only got a few options.
1: Yeah, I would. I would
2: just oversize the bottom mortise and do it that way. Yeah.
1: No, no. Because you know it.
0: <laughs> if it were me. Yeah. I would just domino it, and be done with it. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about it.
2: It's probably fine. Yeah. It'd probably be fine. I would probably make them oversized just because I'm sloppy and probably wouldn't line it up with the the legs. Right. It gives me room to move it. (laughs) Well, hopefully that helps. This is a good question. And I love the design of this bed that he sent. It looks pretty cool too. Yeah, it's cool. Cherry's beautiful. So I will uh, pass this right along to Guy.
0: All right. This question comes in from Jim. And I think Jim comes to us from down under. Oh, cool! Says good day, fellas. Good day. I found your podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I have since binge-listened to every episode. You're a brave man.
1: <laughs> yes, you are.
0: I operate mining machinery in twelve-hour shifts, so I have a lot of listening time. He mm-hmm. writes that he's a motorcycle enthusiast, and he's currently fitting out a new workshop in my spare time. I don't know when he's got spare time. He's working twelve-hour shifts. I decided to fit out the workshop myself and in the process of researching that I have become obsessed with woodworking. I'm in the position of having a large new space to develop as I see fit. It consists of 55 square meters, about 700 square feet. That is a (laughs) big shop. That's about the size of almost two two two-car garages when you think about it. Almost. Mm -hmm. Uh, In total with with a What's that, Sean?
2: I said I'd take it.
0: Yeah. With a 1,200 millimeter high retaining wall along one wall, I have excavated a, a eight foot high space under the house and I had to leave a meter along one wall for the stability of the foundations, revol- resulting in a floor space of 45 square meters and a 10 square meter shelf along one side. I I had to read it a couple times before I really envisioned what he's saying there, but I understand it. Okay. Up until listening to your show, I intended to use the space on top of the retaining wall to build workbenches in order to make the space usable. However, you all seem to value mobility of your workspaces. So I am now considering my options and think that I could be better off using the majority of the space on top of the retaining wall for storage with a mix of cabinets and shelving with a relatively small space for a workbench along that wall and keep the rest of my, my bench space mobile. What do you blokes think? (laughs) If you had this much space, would you continue to value mobility of workstations or create permanent areas? What other tips for setting up a space like this can you give me keeping in mind that sawdust is the natural enemy of shiny bikes Keep up the great content and thanks for all for all keeping me awake through the long night shifts. Jim, so this bloke thinks, regardless of how much space you have, myself, I'd keep everything mobile. Yep. Everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe
0: not the bench, but all the machines. I should I should I should say that it doesn't necessarily mean you have to put wheels on everything. Mm. A good way to do it, especially if you've got a shop that big, you might have room to store it, would be a pallet jack. And Ooh. depending on how tall you are, I'm a little over six foot, I'm 6'1", mm-hmm. so having the machines come up a little bit wouldn't be a big deal. I'd put everything on pallets and have a pallet jack. And If I needed to move something, I could just pick it up and move it around. Mm-hmm. But if I don't have something like that, I'd, I'd have everything on wheels. I still like the idea of everything on wheels. Yeah. The shop where I work right now, we have 35,000 square feet and we still move the machines around. Yeah. And to do that, we got we to gotta get a forklift and everything else. And it's it's a pain in the ass uh, mm-hmm. to move those machines. So, yeah, keep them mobile. Uh, I would look at what you need to keep stationary, which is your bench mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and dust collector.
1: Yeah, maybe put that up against the wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Sean? Hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would love to have like a mobile cart, mobile tabletops and stuff like an MFT mobile. Cause that's so awesome. Being able to throw your parts on and, and wheel it to wherever you need it. That would be mm-hmm. awesome. Um, so I agree with that. 100%. Mo- the workbench is like you're saying, doesn't need to be throw that up against the wall. Um, I'm a fan of having mobile bases on my tools. I, I agree 100% with everything that you said. The only thing that I would, do different than what I do now is I would not have combo machines with that much space other than that, which I'm, I only have one combo machine mm-hmm. other than that. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't lose out to by having them mobile or mobile ready. You only gain. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm hundred percent on board with that.
1: Yeah. Everything in my shop is on wheels just, and I don't even move a lot of stuff that often, but, but you can, on but yeah. I can. Yeah. <laughs> it, I'll tell you what, it made moving a lot easier <laughs> when I had to yeah. move to a new shop, which I, I mean, I've done it once, but I could do it again <laughs> if I need to unlimited times. We're ready to move. Especially should <laughs> high interest oh. rates. Yeah. But, but even my, even my assembly tables on wheels, guy, your assembly tables on wheels, right? Yes.
2: Yeah. It's like yeah. casters. Yeah. I yeah. wish mine was, um, I will say I'm a workbench. It's not mobile, but I do. Well, it's kind of mobile. I do have those workbench casters that pop down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even that I can wheel around. I mean, and when I'm done, I'll pop it back down and it's good. Mm -hmm. So it's a win-win, in my opinion, to have these things mobile. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. The
0: the thing is, though, you have to get the right mobile bases. I've been through a bunch of different types of mobile bases, and I'd say nine out of ten of them were total... Garbage.
2: Adventure. Yeah, I found right
0: a, I found a, a a mobile base that I'm just in love with, and they're on all the machines now, and they work.
1: Uh, what brand is
0: perfectly it? exactly the way they're supposed to? They're Portamates.
1: Portamate. Yep, I've got two of those.
0: Yeah, they're yeah. just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Just wonderful. I
1: had I have the ShopFox one for my bandsaw. Thankfully, I don't move my bandsaw that much. Right. It, but it it's eh, it's okay. It's not that great. The portamates mates are really good. Yep, I've got oh, that on house. my drill press and my scroll saw because I use a scroll saw a lot, right? Um, I, I don't use the Porter mates a lot because uh, all my cabinets and whatnot are on uh, are on casters.
0: Well, that's our first round of questions, and I'd like to talk to you about this show sponsor, which is 3M. There's no getting around it. Sanding is a dusty proposition. I'm sure you've tried mesh sandpaper to give your vacuum system a fighting chance at sucking up all that dust. Sure, it works all right, but the sandpaper wears out way too fast. You don't have to compromise sandpaper life for proper dust management anymore. Thanks to 3M's extract net sanding discs. Loaded with 3M science, these net discs will last and last and last and last and last and last. All while allowing your vacuum system to grab to 99% of dust generated. We were currently working on some doors in our house that needed to be stripped and painted. And uh, I used these discs on there. And I tell you what, it cut right through a couple layers of paint down to the wood very fast. We did three doors with one disc, with one 120 disc. I was really impressed. And I had hooked up to my uh, Festool dust extractor and there was, you know, there's going to be dust, but very little. I mean, it really did a good job of, of sucking up the dust. So I was really impressed with it. All I can say is, you know, don't compromise on your sandpaper. Go to 3M.com slash extract today, extract two today. That's G-O dot, the number three, letter m.com slash X-T-R-A-C-T-2. You'll find the 3M Extract Cubitron 2 Net disc 710W, the most advanced sanding disc ever made, and its little brother, the 3M Extract Disc 310W. 3M Extract, sand less, make more. So I think we're going to go back to... Hui, for the, Hui you have the first question? Yep. What? Next it's question. Me. Yep. You sure? So this is, yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna mix things up. Sean, you take the next question. All right. <laughs> I'll take this.
2: That's from Joshua. Hello. Thank you all for the awesome podcast. I'm looking at moving from South Texas to mid Tennessee, and I'm worried about the change in humidity. I have many projects on the agenda that I can either push to completion or wait until after the big move. It is extremely humid here in Texas, and I have already purchased all my raw materials. So I'll have to move all the materials to my new shop space undetermined at the moment or risk the humidity shift in the completed furniture. So Mm -hmm. I think Josh's question is in there, um, of, should he rush the completion or wait, um, and finish it when he moves. And we'd say it a few times throughout the show. We don't know what he's building. We don't know how big, how small, what kind of wood, where he's moving, Personally, I don't think that I would be able to let that stuff set. It would just constantly be on my mind. So I would I would probably push to completion, and yeah. get it, and get it finished because you know we always say rough mill, let it set, do a final yep. mill, cut your joinery, put it together, and mm-hmm. and move on. And depending on the stage and the you know that you're in with this, and it, is the wood already milled? Is it not milled? Or it just it's hard to answer that. But my vote and guy and, and Hui can obviously. Throw their vote in here. We got the whoever's going to win. We got three votes here, is to uh, push to completion and get it done so it's not sitting. Mm-hmm. We, what's your vote? I think it depends on where in what stage of the build. He's oh no! In. Oh no! You got to vote one way or the other,
1: but <laughs> I mean, but it depends. It depends. Uh, okay, I would say wait. Right. <laughs> if if I, I, my assumption oh. is he's done an initial milling and hasn't finalized or completed the joinery yet in which case he should do a final milling at the new location after it's rested maybe a week or two and then mill it down to final thickness and then do his joinery then. I knew
0: so, you were
2: going to say that. So there you go. Dang guy, you got to be the tiebreaker.
0: <laughs> well, uh, really it's a, uh, it's, it's, it just depends on what you want to do. Myself, I I would probably just go ahead and start making it, and I don't know what the humidity difference is between South Texas and Tennessee, Mid Tennessee. Hmm. I would assume South Texas; it's probably a little bit drier, but I don't know how much. How much more dry? How much more dry? That's really good language. It's amazing what you can do with a second-grade education. Give uh, me about um, a year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's that's something worth taking a look at. Well, let's punch it in here, into the, into the old computer. The computer while knows. While you're
2: doing that, I'll just say that the lumber movement aside, I don't think that my brain would let me let that just sit there. Man, it be like, wow. And imagine moving all that stuff and trying to find the pieces again. Yeah.
0: Well, here, here I, I have a not definitive answer, but I have an answer.
2: Okay.
0: The average relative humidity in Tennessee is 69.4%. Nice.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Average relative humidity in Texas is 64.9%. There's a 5% difference in humidity. It's not, not that, much, that much. Not yeah. that much. Not that much. I not think so either. I wonder what it is. Well, uh, we can we could do this all day with all fifty yeah. states. Right. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Not We're not going to do it. Uh, there's not that big of a difference, in, in, and 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 I I don't know if that's you know one hundred percent rock solid information or not. Just because Google tells me that's what it is doesn't make it so.
2: Right. Um,
0: but it's worth looking into and see what the difference is. Myself, once I get in my head, I'm going to start making something. I'm going to make it.
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: You know what I mean? Yeah,
2: 100%. It just depends on the stage that like, he has many projects on the agenda. So to me, that means maybe he hasn't started it. Maybe he has. Yeah. If I started it, then I'm going to gonna finish it. But if yeah. I haven't, then there's no harm in putting the lumber in the truck, move it, and then wait.
0: Yeah, it's kind of misleading. It says I have many projects on the agenda that I can either push to completion or wait until after the big move. It sounds like the first part of the sentence, many projects on the agenda means you haven't started them yet. Yeah. But then yeah. it says in the same breath, I can push to completion. Well, mm. that sounds like you started them. So I,
2: yeah. Finish them. Um,
0: I'd say finish them. Yeah. I, and I, if sure, I, I, what I would do is I'd grab the low hanging fruit.
2: Yeah. Pick the yeah. projects
0: that you can start and finish mm-hmm. that, you know, you can finish before you have to move.
2: Right. Yeah. Get them off your plate. But don't fret if you have to pack that lumber up and move.
1: Yeah. I don't yeah. think so. Not with, not with five, 5%, 5% difference. It's not
2: that big of a difference. Yeah. No. It's two it's to one finish it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, you're next.
1: All right. This one's from Robert. Hi fellas. Love the podcast. The valid, the value and knowledge us woodworkers get from your content is unmatched. Great mix of personalities and experience. I've worked hard over the last five years to renovate my shop and acquire tools. I have a small space, 260 square feet, but fully dedicated. Insulated wires everywhere with multiple 240 volt, uh, 240 circuits. I have mid range tools 6 inch joiner, 13 inch planer, table saw, router table, bandsaw, drill press, 14 inch radial arm saw. Yet to rebuild, but plan for a joint miter arm saw station. A friend of mine is getting into woodworking and just bought a house that came with a fully loaded cabinet shop, 1,600 square feet fully loaded. My goodness, that is is nice. This shop is about five minutes from me. With access to this, what would you change to your workflow and small shop? I do really like having a full shop so I can work at night when kids are asleep. Second question, got a pile of zebra wood from an estate sale. I have an eight quarter, 12 inch wide, four foot long piece. What would you do with it? So that's sort of an offshoot, offshoot question, excuse me. In terms of the shop, I would keep all the tools that you have Uh, for the exact reason that you just mentioned. Uh, You like having a full shop and at least you can work in there when the kids are asleep. I imagine there are probably going to be, you know, late nights where you can't sleep or something. You want to go out there and do it, uh, do woodworking, Um, just keep everything Fully, you know, just the way you have it. Uh, I wouldn't do it any different. And on top of that, I don't think it's too dependable to be able to go to your buddy shop, you know, at a whim. Uh, that's probably maybe a little, at least for me, I, you know, I'd, I'd like at least a little bit of notice as to when somebody's coming over to use the shop. But I think, you know, that, that that's great and that's awesome that you're friends with them, but keep your shop the way it is, you know, and especially... When you have um, small things that you want to joint just really quickly, even if you know he has bigger joiner, bigger planer, uh, bigger setup in general, I, I'd still want it in my shop uh, just to be able to have the freedom to do it when I want to. If I were to do anything, I might maybe have bigger assembly spaces or workbench spaces. And, you know, you can maybe do a majority of your milling and whatnot at his shop, having that nice, big, wide open space. What are your thoughts, Sean? Hmm. You always go second.
2: (laughs) I would, uh, I would probably, I would, I agree. I would keep everything that I have. I I would hate to have to rely on my buddy being home and, hey, can I come over? Can I come over? Do me pay? And then you got the awkwardness. Do me pay for some of the electricity and some of the heat, some of the, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I would keep what I have. And then. Like we were saying, if for some reason there's a tool that you don't have access to for the capacity reasons, yeah, you got the perfect setup. Or if you get this person has a 1600 square foot fully loaded shop, I would like to, you know, if they have it, I'd use it for maybe their their finishing room for spraying and stuff and not have to mm-hmm. set it up in my smaller shop or go outside. That'd be pretty cool. That um, would be cool. But yeah. I think that, I yeah, I would keep I agree with we keep everything and keep on
1: rolling. Now what about the zebra wood? He's got this eight quarter twelve inch wide, four foot long piece. What do you think? I I, I wouldn't. I would keep it up to uh, make like veneered panels and stuff because I, I love zebra wood with walnut. Like yeah, wood the panels looks great. I agree. Are,
0: are you gonna, are you gonna cut that veneer off that zebra wood by yourself? There have you have you ever used zebra wood? No, it's like cutting rock. Oh really? Yes, That's, it's very hard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Get a get a carbide blade. No, I don't know. Uh, guy, how about you? What would you do? Keep shop or what, if you did downsize keep shop. it,
0: keep the, shop. keep the shop. Keep the shop. Yeah, it's exactly what you guys said for all the the same reasons. Uh, I don't want to have to depend on anybody for anything if I if I can avoid, avoid it. it. Yeah, you know, Sean brought up a good uh, a good idea. You know, it's like hey, you know, maybe he has this or this that you don't have, mm-hmm. and then you don't have to buy it. I can mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I'd want to keep all my own stuff. Mm-hmm. As far as the zebra wood goes, I would keep it to use for accents on projects. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I don't or know if I'd try to cut veneer out of it. It's just too damn hard. Um, I mean, is
1: there is there a zebra wood vin- veneer? I'm sure oh, there is. Yeah. Yeah. There's
0: veneer for everything.
1: Yeah. And I would I, guess- rather,
0: I would rather just... Buy it buy
1: and it. try try to make it. Okay. Um, well, I've never cut through zebra wood. I've just seen it with. Hey, one I one haven't either. Learn something new. Yeah. yeah, but it's hard as all get out. There you go.
0: Though the The stuff I used was was hard. I I maybe I maybe maybe it wasn't zebra wood I was using. Maybe it was rock wood. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, Brazilian cherry was as hard. I have some of that. Yeah, I I try have to resell idea. that.
1: Mm. Oh, you wouldn't try to?
2: I wouldn't. It's because, man, that stuff is hard.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, Guy, you've
0: got the next question. The okay, last one. The last question. Ooh. Yep. This comes from Bob. And Bob says Hello, guys. Always love the show. And I tried out Guy's <laughs> tip of the flat card at Lowe's to haul plywood. Not easy, but still easier for sure. I had never thought of it. No. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed that. And that got you a new Patreon subscriber. Oh, there you oh. go. <laughs> my latest challenge in the shop has been the quality of cut from my bandsaw. Please don't laugh. I'm working with a 14-inch Delta clone from overseas that I bought in about 1986. And has always needed a concrete block on the base. Now I am laughing. To keep it from waddling out of the shop on its mobile base when it's running. <laughs> so, I would never call this a precision balanced machine. I do have guides and blade tension well dialed in or as much as you can dial on a thirty five year old cheap bandsaw. I have replaced the tires and blade, and I'm currently using but and the blade I'm currently using is a good quality and sharp motor is one horsepower one twenty volt that I have never seemed to have bogged down on me. I typically use four or six TPI quarter inch blades, basically because I'm too lazy to swap them out.
2: Sounds like me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the saw tracks well, but the cut has never been smooth. It's not rough like a 10 tooth circular saw blade would be on particle board. It's more like a washboard surface with, with consistently spaced ridges on all the surfaces. This happens with any kind of wood, every feed rate I can try, and it happens when I'm cross-cutting or ripping. I have made it work over the years with sanding it all out, but I wanted to bounce it off you guys to see if you've ever experienced that and been able to pinpoint its cause. Vibration is present in the saw, but I always figured I got what I paid for, and I can't remember if the saw made that kind of cut when it was new. I'm studying reviews to buy a new bandsaw, but I wanted to pass this one down to a beginning woodworker and would love for it to be cutting smoother. Well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, thoughts? Thanks, Bob. So, Bob, a, a very similar question to this came up on our last podcast, which was about a circular saw blade that wasn't giving glue line rip cuts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every, every time, or glue line cut rips every time he was using it. Mm-hmm. This is the same thing. It's a bandsaw. Mm. Uh, I have a very expensive well-tuned bandsaw. If I put a regular you know carbon steel blade on there a three or four Tpi mm-hmm. and start cutting with it, it leaves the finish you are talking about. It's yeah. a bandsaw. That's what it does. So if, if you, it, the most important thing on a bandsaw is that it cuts straight. Mm. I think anyways.
2: Mm-hmm. oh yeah yep I, I, agree. I
0: mean if you want a, a a really good cut especially you know in ripping you know get a get a carbide tooth blade but i wouldn't buy a carbide tooth blade for a, an old saw like that i I'd yeah. get a knee saw mm-hmm. so what do you guys think
1: so i'm wondering if he's using a four or six tpi quarter inch blade a six tpi quarter inch blade that's uh, should give him a a finer cut, but it's not going to give him a finish ready cut. So, I'm wondering if he actually broadened his blade a little bit. If that would help, uh, get some of the, I guess, washboard surface that he's talking about here.
0: I mean, like a like a half inch or three quarter inch blade.
1: Half inch or maybe three eighths. Maybe a little. I know the three eighths is not that much bigger than the quarter inch, but it might it might cut down on a little bit of the washboard effect, but uh, honestly, I think probably the vibration is, uh, that he's talking about, uh, that might be contributing to it in some way, but you know, there, there's a balance issue I, I'd imagine.
2: Um, what do you mean? The salt tracks well. Um, yeah. So to pretty much just, you not really much to add on what you two have said, but you know, I've, uh, you know, there's no meat left on the bone for me, but that's fine. No. <laughs> you're just, that, that's why we let you go
1: first. on No, a no, no. I
2: like it like this. That way I can just say a few words and stop talking. Um, <laughs> there's not a blade, There's not a piece of wood that I would run over any of my blades that I wouldn't expect to sand it somewhat after taking it over it, like Guy has touched on, especially the bandsaw. Um, I've I got a carbide tip blade, which is uh, there's also a misconception that, hey, this is going to be like a table saw blade. It's going to be perfectly smooth. It's not the case. Yeah. Um, I've got used half-inch blades, quarter-inch blades. I've never gotten a smooth cut from any of the bandsaws that I have, mm-hmm. ever, mm-hmm. including the one I got now, my Porter Cable, like Guy said, with the, the gold standard that he has. Hui, mm-hmm. um, I, I've never I've – n- have you all had – We have you had a, a smooth
1: no, every time I've done any type of resawing or or cutting in general, but particularly in resawing, I mean, you always have to. There's a reason why you always have to run it over the joiner after it's been right. resawn. You know, I've gotten
0: some pretty good results using a carbide blade while ripping,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: but that's about it. I mean, yeah. resawing or cross cutting or anything like that or curves, it's just it doesn't matter. It's there's going to be
1: yeah. You're gonna Some get reference. undulations. Uh, yeah. uh, what is it? Uh, ridges, all that. Yeah. yeah, and
0: he's he's talking about vibration too. Uh, the, the way he's making it sound, this is a very cheap import, mm-hmm. and I'm
1: saying he needs to put a cinder block on on the. Uh, yeah, but jam, I mean, right?
0: he's 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 doing everything right, is what yeah. it sounds like, and. Yeah. That's that's a good thing. The only thing I'd recommend is maybe balancing the wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, that can help. I had a, an old jet that I had some problems with vibration. I took the, the wheels off of it and I, you know, balanced them uh, myself, which wasn't too too hard. Um, but I had to put some lead on one of them. Mm-hmm. So it, it spun right. And once I did that a lot of a lot of problems went away. Um,
2: yeah, it, it, it would be helpful if you knew how how intense this you know surface looked you. afterwards because oh yeah. you know it, if you look online and you watch people cut stuff on YouTube and this and that. it's like, man, that looks like a sweet cut on that bandsaw. I gotta have that. but in reality they're not finished ready. And no. is he no. obviously he's a he's a woodworker? So it's like, how bad is this that we're just not aware of to help figure yeah. out what the overall issue might be? I
1: I, I guess we you know we can't pinpoint exactly how inconsistent his cut is, but I mean, bandsaw blade cut is going to be somewhat inconsistent if you run your finger across it. Um. It's but.
2: not a single blade. He's he's done multiple blades, so it can't be the blade yeah. unless he's sticking with the same cheap brand or something. Well, Honestly, yeah. so
0: he hasn't changed that blade in fifteen years out of the <laughs> thirty-five. You know, I I I needed to do some resawing at work uh, Monday, uh-huh. and uh, was it Monday? Yeah, it was Monday. Yeah, it was Monday. And you know, I was getting the first board I put through it bellied on me. It just went that. Change the blade, and it was like yeah. using a new saw. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but, but you know, I'm look. I'm, I'm looking at this question, thinking more of the vibration. Mm-hmm. If he if the thing is vibrating, and it's actually you know walking out the door by itself, I'd let it go. That, <laughs> <laughs> um. That. Could be a lot of it right there, but yeah. he, it sounds like he's, again he's doing the right things. He's getting extra weight in the base, mm-hmm. um, you know, checking the wheels, things like that. That that all is part of the vibration. So,
2: yeah. How does the blade look when it's running? Is it
0: yeah stable? It flutter.
2: Yeah, flutter. That'll definitely give you a rough cut.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it's not uh, tight enough.
2: Yeah. Mm. Is it walking Mm. on you? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I think that's it for that question. Thanks, Bob. Um, We, What you got going on in the shop?
1: Okay. So I just finished applying stain and two coats of water-based poly on this table that I've been building for hmm, probably about the last month and a half. So that's getting close to being out the door. And then I'm just, I'm I'm going to, I think I'm going to call it quits for the rest of the year in terms of building stuff. i just been really spending quite a bit of time in the shop. And I think I need to kind of recharge before the end of the year and just be with my family for a little bit. Uh, oh, they'll because... be fine. <laughs> I know. I know. They'll be fine. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm not like stop woodworking and just... I'd like to kind of slow down towards the end of the year. So uh, during the busy time of holidays, we can spend a little bit more time and I don't have to be stressed about trying to get something out the door. That's all. Um, Sean, what do you got? Well,
2: I am, I think I spoke last time about buying some ash to let, and letting an acclimate so that I can start on this, uh, this bench for uh, plants for a buddy of mine mm-hmm. and had him over to look at the lumber and stuff and, and, and in doing so, I think we're going to change it up a little bit. So instead of doing, you know, just a, an ash, complete ash, uh, stained base and top and live edge top and all that stuff. I believe uh, he settled on um, going with a cherry base, with an ash live edge top. Nice. Um, and, you know, we're going to go that route now, which is I got some really nice looking eight quarter that's got some figure in it. It's really dark. And it's going to look great with the ash. So I'm looking forward to starting that.
0: Yeah, nice. ash and cherry is one of my favorite combinations.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've never used it. I, it, it. This ash is really nice. The live edge is looking good. I got to remove the bark and stuff. I'm not looking forward to uh, flattening it because that's always messy. But it's going to look really good, I think, when it's done.
0: Bring, bring, it, bring it up here, man. We'll, we'll run it through our 54-inch planer sander. 54 Yeah, we'll just run it through twice. It'll take 15 minutes.
2: (laughs) Now just got to determine, is it worth the four-hour drive each way?
0: Yep. (laughs) It's (laughs) not four hours from Lexington. How
2: long did it take for me to get there last Uh, time? It's about
0: two hours from... from Oh, okay. Well, that'd be worth it. I can make it it to Cincinnati in an hour and a half. Meet me halfway. You take it back... And Love it. I don't have anything going on in my shop except the doors I talked about. Um, those are painted and back up, and we did not clear coat them afterwards. Um, mm. that's, that's about it. At, at work, we have a bunch of stuff going on. We got a bunch of new projects, just the typical stuff. Credenzas. Uh, I got a rush order that I had to jump on today right away for mm. three serving trays. The world stopped. Heck yeah! To make three serving trays. I have no idea who they're even for. They said, "Here, this." They gave me a picture, and
1: where you go. You, you had been in the office. Were you? Have you been back in the shop?
0: I was. I've been back in the shop this week. Oh, nice. But it's just. It's still just. Part time. Okay. It's it's from seven till noon in the shop and then from twelve thirty to five thirty in the in the in the office. Okay. So I'm still doing all the CAD drawings and which is actually keeping me pretty busy. Oh good. So good. But that's about it. And I think that's going to do it for the show. We would like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the research rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions and you'd like them answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. I can be reached at Guy's Woodshop on most social media platforms. Where can you be found at, Hoey?
1: AlabamaWoodworker.com. All the links to my socials are on uh, my website. And Sean,
2: where can we find you? At Simple Cove on Instagram.
0: Nice. All right. Well, really good. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you guys later.
1: Talk to you later, man. All All righty. Right. See you. Bye. See